Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiad, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiad. What is up, Flip Upon Welcome to episode 90 of the Flipside Podcast. We are 10 episodes away from the big uh, the big 100. We'll have to think of something fun and special to do for the 100th episode. Big thanks to everybody that supports the show. If the podcast has helped you in your life, helped you grow closer to the Lord, if it's entertaining to you, encouraging to you, I encourage you then to become a Patreon supporter. You can do that at patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. Get yourself some sweet flip side swag like my flip upon my mug that I'm drinking from today. Uh, speaking of that, shout out to Angry Brew. Thank you for sponsoring the show. If you'd like to get some coffee with a punch, double the caffeine of regular coffee, you can go to angrybrew.com, fivelakes.com, use promo code FLIP, and get 10% off your order. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for being with us. A quick rundown if you've missed some episodes I just did a five-minute flip. I had a great experience with the Lord uh, a few weeks ago on a Beyond the Battle retreat. I was at Lake Michigan, and I was on the on the shore and just watching the tide come in and just had a really powerful conversation with Jesus. I'd encourage you to check it out. That's on the audio feed of the podcast. Uh, prior to that was episode 89, a full-length episode, and that was... Uh, myself and three other church planters. We all are in the same church planting cohort with our denomination. We're all in around the same within the first year and a half or so, uh, two years of being around as a church plant and talking through not just some of the struggles of planting, but talking through church health. We just candidly talked through some of the pressure and some of the expectations. And honestly, kind of a tie-in from that episode uh, to this one uh, with Juanita Rasmus is Juanita's talking about being a pastor and just burning out, just going into this, this crash from doing so much, you know, as a pastor. And the four of us church planters in episode 89, uh, we broke down sort of the the construct of church itself. And are there components to the way we do church that puts an unhealthy amount of pressure, you know, onto pastors? Uh, and so for today, in, in today's episode... With Juanita's book, uh, Learning to Be, it's it's certainly going to help pastors. It's going to help ministry leaders, uh, but it's also for it's for anyone. I, I think the core of what it means to follow Jesus, the core of finding freedom from our bad habits and our addictions and our sins, because we're we're looking to get this hole filled up inside of us. We talk about that a lot with Beyond the Battle conversations. I've got this hole inside of me for approval for validation, for someone to tell me that I'm I'm good enough, that I'm loved. And so pornography becomes this place to get a fake feeling of that. Or sex can become a place to get a fake feeling of that. Or it can be the next man or the next woman. And and uh, for other people, it's, it's other addictions or, or other habits. And for many of us, if you're wired like me, uh, that habit becomes success, the habits becomes performance. Am I good enough? And I'm pretty vulnerable and transparent on the podcast, you know, with struggling with that, looking at the num- the numbers of downloads on an episode, the numbers of book sales and all these metrics that are out there 
the way social media works nowadays. But I think we all have something we could fill in that blank. And we say we go to that thing to make us feel like we have approval, to make us feel like we have uh, like we have value. And for Pastor Juanita, it was ministry. It was ministering uh, what turned into a very large church with a lot of needs and feeling like she was superwoman and doing everything and going, 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 going as if God needed her to be a human doing rather than a human being. And there's so much uh, when it comes to our spiritual formation that we can learn from the practices of slowing down, the practices of silence, learning new ways to pray, new ways to read scripture that are contemplative and that slow us down, that can really get us to sit in the truth that we talk about a lot on the podcast and in Beyond the Battle, the truth that I am a beloved son or daughter already, that the Father looks on me and smiles upon me. There's nothing I need to do to earn that love or favor because that's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor from God. It's the unmerited love of God. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I think it's going to help you to give you some practical things. Uh, It might also... Um, help you identify some warning signs in your life where some things need to be reprioritized when it comes to the pace of life and some of your own spiritual formation rhythms and patterns. I know that's something God is really convicting me of recently. I've got my quiet time, my devotional time, but what does it look like to have monthly rhythms, a, a retreat day uh, where you go off by yourself. That time at Lake Michigan actually was, I, I went, I live an hour away from Lake Michigan. Why do, why do I do this once every few years? And I, I could easily do this once a month, you know, things like that. Allow the Holy Spirit to use this episode uh, to speak to you about things like that. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, Juanita Rasmus. Uh, If you're watching on our YouTube channel, welcome. You can see my, uh, I need a haircut. My wife is my barber. And uh, we have this thing in our house where when I need a haircut, I put the clippers out in the middle of the living room where they'll be annoying. And I ask for a haircut. And it usually takes about a week, sometimes two weeks to actually get uh, the haircut from there. But I'm going to look on my other screen over here to read Juanita's bio. Uh, Juanita Campbell Rasmus is a speaker, writer, spiritual director, and contemplative. She previously was co-pastor of the St. John's United Methodist Church for 31 years in downtown Houston with her husband, Rudy, and she'll share quite a bit about that. Uh, She started with nine members in 1992, and thousands have joined the St. John's family since, making it one of the most culturally diverse congregations in the country. Pastor Juanita has served as a member of the board of directors of Renovar and its ministry team founded by Richard Foster. Additionally, she serves on the board of her alma mater, Houston Graduate School of Theology, and on advisory boards for Rice University's Religion and Public Life Program and Remind Houston. She co-founded Bread of Life Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation with her husband Rudy in 1992, and began began serving meals to the homeless in the sanctuary at St. John's. We'll talk about that as well in the interview. Um, just when when there's when people have a lot of needs. And when there's a lot of ministry to be done, that is a that is a, a breeding ground for pastors to burn out. Um, church health is something that's on my heart. Pastoral health is something that's on my heart. I think it's something you may not be a pastor, but all Christians contribute, you know, to this to the culture we have around church. 
And uh, I think for pastors, we go into it going, I love people. I love Jesus. Jesus can change hearts. And so I'm just going to leave it all, you know, out there on the field. So we get into all of that, into this interview. Uh, I hope you're blessed by it. Uh, we, we mentioned this uh, later in the interview, and it's in the show notes as well. Uh, but we'll be sure to pick up a copy of Juanita's new book, Learning to Be, Finding Your Center After the Bottom Falls Out, uh, which is the type of stuff that we're going to be talking about in today's show. So uh, enjoy, uh, be encouraged, and here we go. All right. Well, we are here with Pastor Juanita Rasmus. And Juanita, we are so glad uh, that for you to join us on the flip side. Welcome. Noah, thank you for having me this today. I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. Hey, you can say this morning. I don't know if it's morning or evening when people are listening on a podcast. You never <laughs> okay, know. Great. Middle of the night. So happy, happy times. Okay? Happy time, whenever that time is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I've got a copy of your book here, Learning to Be, uh, subtitle Finding Your Center after the bottom falls out. Uh, great book. Thank you for writing it. Uh, this book took a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage. And so I'd like to jump in right at, as, as you start the book out. I feel like the 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 backdrop of the crash, I think, as you call it, you know, needs to kind of be set up before we get into some of the deeper lessons in the book. Um, could you tell us about the crash and what that was, as well as what led up to it. I think the leading up to it um, can help listeners understand a little bit about um, your role and what you do in ministry and those kind of things. And I will, I forgot to mention this, I will have already read your bio, so they'll be familiar with that. But what led up to your crash and uh, what was the crash? Wow, thanks for asking, Noah. Well, you know, looking back, I think a lot of things led up to the crash. Uh, my personality type, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very much a, um, I like to say up until now, performance-driven person. And that's <laughs> right. up until now, hoping today is going to be a little better than yesterday. Amen, amen. Um, and so I had always been focused on the bottom line, making things happen, very much a type A kind of person. My husband and I found ourselves in ministry. And before we knew it, um, what started out as a nine person congregation and providing services to the homeless community in and around our church grew significantly. And so here we were a young couple, not trained in ministry, but we had both been entrepreneurs. So we knew how to manage things and, and how to vision. And so uh, out of that space became the perfect storm, as they say. So after about seven years where we had grown from nine members to about 3,500 members, we were providing 500 meals or so a day to the homeless community in and around, which is more than some restaurants do. Wow. Uh, and so we were we were very engaged in the work of meeting the needs of the least, the last, the lost. Now, this I say this was a perfect storm. And so the, the ministry had grown rapidly. And Rudy and I were we, we had worked together in business before. So basically, we were used to taking the to do list, tearing it in half. He mm -hmm. took his half based on his gift. I took my half based mm -hmm. on my That's pretty much how we operated the church. Now, the challenge with that is that sometimes when you are passionate about something, um, you can put that something before everything, including yourself. And that's basically what I had done, is that I had become so engrossed in this work because it was meeting so many of my 
um, unspoken needs. I often say that people come to ministry and we tend to think, oh, it's their giftedness that brings them. And I suggest it is not. I suggest it's their woundedness. Hmm. And so my work at St. John's began to experience my wounds or expose my wounds. Uh, it was a combination of um, compassion fatigue, which I heard someone say recently is really not compassion fatigue, it's empathy fatigue. And so I experienced that with hearing thousands of stories of the men and women that we were serving. Many of them uh, were in recovery and they were sharing their trauma stories with me. Yeah. Others were hoping for recovery and they were sharing their trauma stories with me. And I had no sense that I needed to have someone to talk to, to help me process all of that. So we had that. Uh, we had this, this, um, workaholic model going, uh, which was really for Rudy and I generations old because we mm -hmm. come from families that were basically workaholics and didn't know what a vacation was, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, not only that, but then the, the addition was the, the reality of um, just being performance driven and not knowing when to stop. The, the the thing that my psychiatrist said was that I was diagnosed with a major depressive episode. Well, my grandmother, Noah, would have known nothing about uh, psychiatry or a major depressive episode. She would have simply said, baby, you had a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. So with that, I began to uh, get treatment from a psychiatrist. I started seeing my spiritual director more frequently, seeing a therapist uh, every two weeks so that I could begin to Put my life together again and and hopefully the goal was to make it a life i could really live because the life i had lived to that point wasn't sustainable as my crash indicated mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how long was the crash this was months long i was trying to find the i going back in the book and did you put the amount of months that this was I in didn't. there and you okay. know I, I partially it's because i almost don't remember how long yeah long. It yeah. seemed like a hundred years, yeah. but it was probably about nine months. Yeah. Um, and 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 then the other aspect that a dear friend of mine who's a spiritual director helped me with, she said one day to me, Juanita, I think this is the dark night of the soul for you. And that's exactly what it was. So, yes, it was that biological part that we could say was the major depressive episode. And it was the trauma and it was the rapid growth and the working, burning the candle at both ends. A word that I hope I can help put to rest is the word grind. Mm. <laughs> people say, oh, my grind. Oh, my it's grind such enthusiasm. Yes. And I say to them, um, be careful because anything you grind can get ground up. That's right. You know, yeah. and so all of those together, the dark night of the soul, I believe, ultimately addressed my experience. This experience of the life I have been living no longer being able to sustain me. Um, it wasn't nurturing to me. But m much of that is rooted in beliefs that I had about who I was and what was the expectation for my work and so forth and so on. Um, I'm wired a lot like you, uh, yes, very, very dri driven. So I can relate. I can relate to a lot of these things. Um, you talked about there were warning signs leading up to the crash. You ignored those warning signs. Perhaps there's listeners listening who are experiencing similar warning signs and they're ignoring them. 
Uh, you touched on it a little bit already, but what were some of those specific warning signs as you look back at it? Oh, wow. No, looking back, I see that the signs were there for a while. So one of the signs was I started having physical challenges that I hadn't had before, lower back pain, uh, migraine headaches, just all these kind of physical things that I had been perfectly healthy and I had not had any of those kinds of concerns. Um, I remember this sensation of being wound up so tight, like a, a wind up toy that it felt as though I couldn't unwind myself. Mm. Uh, I recall one day going to work and uh, there's a street in Houston called Yale and, and it go it dips down and it goes under a, a bridge that a train runs across. And so I was in that slope part of that street and I was so wound up that I played a meditation CD and I had brought some incense from home and I stuck the cigarette lighter in to light the incense in my car while I'm driving. Okay. That's pretty wound up. <laughs> And so I dropped the cigarette lighter and I took my foot off the brake, hit the car in front of me. Uh, now, that was one of three car accidents, all mm. minor. All right. And the only response I could have was, thank God I have insurance. Mm-hmm. All right. I wasn't noticing what I was noticing about my life, how I was all out of sync how um, I felt every morning I would wake up and think, oh, my God, another day. And I remember having this feeling, while many who experience uh, depression have suicidal uh, ideation, this feeling of how can they kill themselves? How can they take themselves out? For me, it showed up in two different ways. One as I wish I could just disappear. And then the other was I began to have panic attacks and it showed up as somebody's going to kill me on my way to pick my kids up from school and my children won't know where I am. And so that was a horror that just terrified me during that time. And so notice what you're noticing. Notice your your inner being. Mm-hmm. When I would lay down at night in bed, it would feel as though my body was still shaking inside like this from the day's activities. Notice what you're noticing. Notice if you're getting a sense of rest and renewal or if every day you feel as exhausted as the day before. And so when you see these signs, take note and then go see your physician. When I saw my primary care physician, she did a bunch of blood work to rule out what might be something else, right? Because often um, depression can show up as uh, thyroid conditions. It could be something related to other biological things that might be going on, um, uh, uh, diabetes and other kinds of things that might have some similar experiences, right? And so see a physician. If you don't have a therapist, get one. Don't wait till you crash to get a, somebody <laughs> to talk to and to talk yep. through things, right? And then certainly, please get a spiritual director, a person who can name your dark night of the soul, if that's what it is, yeah. so that you can know how to be present to it. And you can know that there are others in the history of Christianity who've experienced the same thing and that you have support. I think that's the biggest thing for any of us is to recognize that there is support. The Holy Spirit is present, but there are also trained professionals who can help hold our hands. You know, Noah, when I was a little girl, one of my favorite dolls, my parents bought me probably when I was about three or four, 
And the doll was as tall as I was, right? <laughs> and and she had a little ribbon on her and it said, hold my hand and I will walk with you. And mm-hmm. so the way you did it was you held her hands and robotically she would walk, right? Mm-hmm. What I realized is that in this space of living with a mental health diagnosis, I needed some people to hold my hand and walk mm-hmm. with me through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a great picture. Uh, you talked about a pattern that you had developed from early on of stuffing pain yeah. rather than grieving pain. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of one category. You talk later in the book about the similar thing with anger, how we, um, we've been taught to always stuff our anger that it, and, and just to bottle it up. Yes. I'm wondering if you can talk a little about those, maybe those two things are separate or maybe maybe this a similar process, but uh, what are what are healthy ways to grieve pain? Uh, what are healthy ways of expressing anger? And I'll give a little context to this. In my own therapy right now, as I talk to my counselor, I'm starting to navigate the grieving process uh, yeah. for, for me and uh, not, not anyone who's died, but... Um, things that have died, dreams that have died, you know, and ways that, um, and I initiated with him. I said, I'd like to explore, like, I know there's a process for grieving. And as we've done that, I was like, wow, I've never, and I read it in your book the same time I'm doing this with him. So I'm learning this as I go. So some of this question is for me. Um, I, I'm, I've never, I'm one of those Christians who is like, anger's bad, you know, stuff it, um, and I'm trying to learn this process of what what else can you do with anger besides explode, you know, uh, or or stuff it. Um, and then the grieving of pain. I just think it's really uh, foggy, really vague, really squishy. Christians don't really know what to do with with pain or with anger. I'm wondering uh, what, what that what's that learning process been like for you? Oh, wow. It's been a, an amazing journey and one I'm really grateful for. Um, part of my stuffing was good little girls don't get mad. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, 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 a paradigm that I was living into of being a good little girl because I wanted to go to heaven when I died. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, not realizing that I am the creator of my own heaven and my own hell right here, right now, depending on the decisions I make. Right. And so one of the things that I realized is that I did need help with this. One of the tools that was really powerful for me, uh, impactful for me, was um, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's experience with grief and how she talks about grief. I use an acronym and it's DABDA, D-A-B-D-N-A. Yeah, D-A-B-N-A. I said that wrong. I got to write it down. Dab, the, okay, D-A-B-D-A, excuse me. So the D in Dabda is denial. There's that first place with any emotion, really, but especially with grief, where we're denying. And, and it's partially the shock and the, the automatic, uh, the uh, nervous system kicking in to say, hey, we're going to get you through this, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it creates a, a, a kind of... Um, anesthesia emotionally so that we can move our way through whatever the crisis is, the death is, the the experience is. Then the A in Dabdit, so first is denial, then it's there's an A, and that's anger. 
that's the place where we um, experience some anger uh, because of whatever's going on. And here's what I've learned, even since writing Learning to Be, is that emotions are like a, a wave in the ocean. And so if we will grant ourselves permission to be with the wave, it's going to crescendo, it's going to rise up, and then it's going to fall down. And studies have shown that process takes somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes. And so instead of us saying, I'm going to use all my energy to keep this from happening. Mm -hmm. If we would simply say, I'm just going to be with what I'm feeling. It would do so much good for us mentally, emotionally, and even physically. And so the D is the denial. The A is the anger. The B in DABDA is bargaining. You know, if I do this, then maybe that won't happen. If I uh, make another decision, maybe we can work our way out of this. That yeah. sense of bargaining with whatever the situation is. Then there's another D. That D is deep sadness or mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. Some, it goes into depression. For others, it can just be a time of deep sadness where we feel what we're feeling. And then the A in DAPTA, the last part, is acceptance. Learning to accept. You know, no, I think for a long time, I didn't think I was human. Um, yeah. I think I felt as though I should be superhuman. And so as a pastor, as a leader, uh, never let them see you sweat. Never let them see you cry. You know, all these kinds of false notions that I had, which were really rooted in my own um inability to be present to my emotions. Dr. David Hawkins has written some great work around our emotions and learning to live with them. I think his book, Letting Go, is probably one of the best that deals with that. Um, but it's a process. Teaching ourselves, you know, and I'm going to tell you, I know this is weird, but I think it's really weirdly human, right? And that is that so often many of us think our emotions will overcome us. They'll overtake us. If I start crying, I won't stop crying. If I feel this anger, I'm going to do something terrible. If I feel this sadness, I'll take my life. We have all these kind of narratives around our emotions. And one of the things that both my therapist, my spiritual director, and time have been teaching me is to be with the feeling. It's going to rise. Mm -hmm. going to fall. And if I'll give myself permission to be with it, I'll be better on the other side. I'll have a new narrative to tell myself. Oh, yeah. I remember feeling that anger. It was so intense. I remember feeling the, the disappointment, the shame, the apathy, the not uh, being able to move forward. And that feeling was so intense. And then it left. Yeah, that's powerful. And um, I think that is really helpful to remember for, for listeners. We've talked about depression on the podcast um, a fair amount, something I struggle with and try to be vulnerable about, kind of comes and goes. When you're feeling depressed or when you're feeling some of that deep sadness and, and uh, the, the mind can switch to you know suicidal ideation or just an ultimate sense of stuckness, uh, we have to remember that the nature of these feelings is that they pass. That's this right. this too shall pass, whether whether that's in the next few minutes or the next few weeks or even months. Um, these are not permanent. You know, these are not permanent feelings. And to hear a story like yours of someone who's giving testimony of saying, 
I've experienced the depth, the deepest of the deep, um, you know, the, of the depths of the pit and, um, and it passed and there's a path out of it. Um, I think that's really, I think that's really, really helpful uh, to hear. So thank you. Thank you, Noah. You know, one of the things I'm glad you mentioned the pit um, is, is, you know, we have ignored, I think, uh, largely the number of people in scripture who dealt with emotional illness. Yeah. King Saul being one of them. Remember, it says in the scripture that David would come and play music to calm his soul, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a clue for us. Number one, this can happen to anybody. Number two, there are some tools that we might want to put in our toolkit to help us when we find ourselves in those places. Music being one of them. Mm -hmm. One of the most profound things that happened for me, um, there was a, a little girls group that grew up in our church and they're called Destiny's Child and later became Beyonce and Kelly Rowland and Michelle. And they all created, had their own, you know, um, ultimately their own work in the world. Um, Destiny's Child came out with a song during this time of my crash. And the song says, I'm a survivor. That song became the anthem for me mm. in the process. And so there were times when I didn't feel I was a survivor, but I kept affirming, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. And the scripture says we are more than conquerors, right? And so it's important to have a vision for life after this passes. Yeah. After this passes, I want to be able to say to you, I am more than a conqueror. I am triumphant in Christ through this experience. Right. But we have to remember that mind, body and spirit, we're tridimensional just as the Godhead is. So we can't ignore the aspect of us that is very, very human. Mm. And that pit part every morning for weeks, I woke up after having slept 18 to 20 hours a day. And feeling exhausted because I was exhausted, period. And then that amount of sleep did not restore me. It didn't refresh me. And every night I felt that I was going, uh, falling down this deep tunnel. And I was I was imagining that it had bricks on the inside of it, like an, a water well. And I kept thinking, why can't I find something to hold on to, to keep me from feeling this horrific feeling of, of falling to the bottom? Um, and that's why the, the subtitle uh, to learning to be is finding your center after the bottom falls out. Um, I had been around people in recovery long enough at St. John's that they often said, not until you hit bottom are you ready to recover. And so I kept saying, God, would you please let me hit bottom? Would mm. you please let me hit the bottom? And so one day, I'll always remember it. I had awakened from that deep spiraling down sensation that I was having. And in it, when I hit the bottom, the presence of the Trinity was there, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it was as though they um, had been, you know, chilling, having tea, <laughs> and said, finally, mm. glad you're here. We've been waiting. Mm. And so when we talk about that sense of communion with God, when I got to that place, I felt the presence of God so very profoundly. And I was so very grateful. And so I'll say to those who are suffering, have a vision for beyond this. What would you love? What would you love? Our, 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 often our first response is, I would love to not be feeling this. I would love to be out. Right. 
Okay, I understand. But beyond that, go. let's go to 20, let's go out three years, three years from now. What would you like to say your life is like? And so maybe you say, well, I want to be um, engaged in the arts, or maybe you say, I want to volunteer more, or I want to change my job, or I want other kinds of relationships in my life. Begin now thinking about those. In the book, I talk about creating a want to file. And in that want to file, I began to put images because I couldn't read during that time and I couldn't pray. My mind just would not formulate prayer. But thank God the word says that the scripture, that the spirit rather interprets our moans and our mm. groans. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was heavy sighs. <sighs> I found myself sighing a lot. I'll say that is too a symptom. Notice when you find yourself feeling like that you've used all of your life energy. Pay attention. Notice what you're noticing. Um, but that journey, while it was the most hellacious experience of my life, and I wouldn't have wished it on an enemy if I knew I had one, right? But it became the most profound spiritual experience of my life. So have a vision for beyond it. Mm -hmm. When I get through with this, I'm going to go travel. I'm going to, matter of fact, that was one of the things that the spirit gave me because I didn't even have any ideas about what I wanted my life to look like. And so God began to minister to me and, and encourage me with this want to file to put images. So I put a picture of a hot air balloon in there and I put a picture of somebody skydiving and I put a picture of just different things. Sometimes it was words. And Noah, believe it or not, junk mail can be very helpful with this because junk mail is always telling you, live your best life, right? <laughs> and that's very much what this dark night of the soul was saying to me. Juanita, you are living as though you have to earn God's love. Yeah. And you don't. Yeah. Amen. God loves you, period. Whether you can do anything for God. And so that for me was probably the most profound learning of this journey because I didn't realize that my paradigm, my default thinking was always rooted on, I've got to earn God's love. Mm -hmm. Got to be good enough. Yeah. And I think let's camp out on that for a little while because I think that's the... <laughs> That's that that to me is the ultimate solution to so many of our problems. Right. And and um, I have a, a ministry to guys uh, wrote a book called Beyond the Battle, and it talks about various forms of uh, sexual sin and, and pornography addiction and um, all, all kinds of things. And and we talk and I saw so on the podcast, I talk often about how we we look for love. We look for acceptance in all these other places. And it can be through sex. It can be through men or women, mm -hmm. sexually, pornography, this, this sort of fake acceptance, the facade of, of mm -hmm. someone, you know, acting like they love us or something. We also can look for it in performance. Like you write about, and I very much relate to that. This, this, I need to perform uh, for my parents. I need to perform for my coaches. I need to perform for my pastor. And all the while it's being embedded in us that we really are needing to perform for God. And and exactly. so uh, I had a mentor say, we, we take the face of our, you know, our dad or the face of our coach or whoever it may be. And we put it on the face of God. And, and we, when we look to God, you know, we see that performance driven 
merit-based, you know, sort of love. Mm-hmm. And and for us, for any follower of Jesus, any child of God, to be able to get to the point where we can, you know, you know it in your head, but mm-hmm. when it, sure. by the power of God gets here into our heart and we can rest in knowing uh, God loves me. I am his son or his daughter. I'm his child. And that's it. There's nothing I can do. Right. I can make him love me more and there's nothing I can do that can make him love me less. I love, you know, you kept going back to grace in your book. Like that's actually what grace is. Um, and man, if, if uh, we all, I think all Christians need to be on a journey to getting to that place. And like you said, at the very beginning of the interview, uh, every day we are reminding ourselves, right. Of those truths. It's, it's yeah. for me, it's not like I've arrived and I've got this, um, I'm, I'm, I'm cured of this. It's, it's that I'm, I'm feeding off of Jesus. I'm being reminded of this is my truth. This is who I am. Not those other things. So I don't need to go chase them. Right. And so I love, love, love that about your book. And so let me ask you, like, what are some, some practical things that you do and that maybe a listener could try that might know that, uh, in their head, or maybe they're hearing it here for the first time. And, and and some light bulbs are coming on. You mean I don't have to earn this? I don't have to perform, or that I'm already loved. I don't need to go to my addiction yes. um, to feel a sense of acceptance. Uh, what are ways? Because obviously, being in a car with incense and a cigarette lighter probably not the best way, right? Definitely of, not. Of experiencing <laughs> I don't that. recommend that at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are what are some ways? Um, and your book talks through some of these, which is really helpful, and it's it's. Uh, be a great resource for people. Uh, but what are some maybe some small daily ways that you're that that helps you and could help others as well as some I don't you know I don't know some maybe um all day sort of things or things we could build into our rhythms uh yeah. that could help with this sort of reminder that we can rest in God's love. And I'm glad you said reminder because what we're really doing is we're changing our paradigm. Our paradigms are made up of beliefs. Some of those beliefs have been very life-giving. Other beliefs have not been so life-giving. My belief that I had to earn God's love, not life-giving at all. Because as a pastor, then I see myself working for God and there's no end to it. There's no, no boundaries, no ability to say no and all these kinds of things that were a part of that paradigm. And so as I began to um, do a, a number of things, one of which is practice silence. Now, for me, the practice of silence came during my um, crash and the time after that for about three years um, because I was at home alone, taking my meds, seeing my therapist and all that. My husband and my kids were at school and at work. And so I was really on a silent retreat for nine months. Mm -hmm. And so in that silence, God began to speak to my spirit. Um, and so silence is is critical. We've got to unplug, unplug from social media. Um, I, I highly recommend that people put at least an hour gap between their last interactions with social media and technology and they're going to bed because we know now that that, in, that can interfere with the quality of our rest, the quality of our sleep. Um, so silence, create some silence. Maybe you start with five minutes a day of just sitting and breathing. 
I have a raisin meditation in the book where I invite people to sit with a raisin and I invite them to touch it and smell it and see it and, and even see if they can hear the seeds in it, right? And then lastly, to taste it. And when most people do this meditation, they say to me, I'll never eat a raisin the same way again. Mm -hmm. And it's because we're practicing being mindful, being present in the moment. One of the other things that I recommend in addition to unplugging and having some routine silence on a daily basis, the other thing I suggest is get in nature. If you're a mountain person, go to the mountains. If you're a, a, a person who likes to fish, go to the ocean, go to the lake, go to the pond. If you're a person who just likes wooded areas, you know, I'm thinking about Henry David Thoreau and his work with Walden Pond and his experiment there, how he tapped into the power and presence of God in ways that sometimes words can limit us with, right? Mm -hmm. Our words are so weighty. They mean so many things. And so if we can get in nature, and those of you who, uh, you know, when, when I started this aspect of the nature part of coming into God through nature and Howard Thurman is a, a, a black mystic uh, spiritual leader who uh, died in the early 80s. And, and his much of his spirituality, much of his uh, being able to say, I know that God is real, came because of his experience with being in nature. And so get outside. Sit in your backyard. Sit If you don't have a backyard, go to a park. Get in nature. God has a profound way. Matter of fact, there are those um, spiritual teachers who say that nature is God's first Bible. Get outside. Get in nature. Unplug. Have some space of silence on your calendar. Have some daily meditation time where you're breathing, and you're saying an affirmation or a mantra. Uh, my mantra is Maranatha, which is Aramaic for come, Lord. And so I breathe in, Ma. Ma. And I get used to hearing myself say that. You'd be surprised, even that. Is kind of a latent form of silence where I'm toning, uh, tuning out everything else but my saying, come, Lord, come, Lord. Uh, in learning to be, one of the things that I um, set out to do was that at the end of every chapter, I offered a spiritual reflection, a spiritual practice. Sometimes it's Lexio Divina, where I invite you to read a little bit of scripture and then reread it several times, listening for how it's speaking to you, how it's bread for you for the day, how it's designed to quench your thirst or to be life for you. Um, the examine is another practice. At the end of every day, sit on the side of your bed or in a, a favorite chair or sit on the floor. It doesn't really matter where you sit, okay? Just don't lay down. Uh, but with the examine, you give yourself permission to ask, what gave me life today? And so then you begin to reflect, boy, I really enjoyed my conversation with Noah. It was a sweet space, right? Um, I enjoyed the email I got from someone who read the book or whatever. The, the doorman at the office building opened the door for me and complimented my outfit. Go over your day. Look for ways and what gave you life. 
because God is in what gives us life. Mm. And likewise, with this practice of the exam, and I say to myself, what took life from me? What sucked the life out of me? Yeah. What was it that wasn't life giving today? How did I not show up as love? All of these are ways of saying what took life from me, right? And then I reflect and I think, oh my goodness, I just realized when I was talking to John, he gave me a compliment and I was busy thinking about what I was going to say next. And I didn't even acknowledge it, right? Oh, I got up late. And because I got up late, I was rushing and I was kind of short with Rudy, my husband. And so then you look at the things that you, that suck life from you and you say, okay, how can I redo that? How can I change that so that doesn't happen tomorrow? Or how do I apologize if there's an apology needed? But in those things that suck life from you, we observe them, pay attention, and then make, make adjustments. The challenge with most of us, and I would dare say the challenge with me at that time, is I wasn't paying attention to my life. Mm. I put Juanita in a saucepan on the back of the oven, of the stove rather, and I had her on a low simmer until she burned up. Mm. With the examine, notice what gives you life and do more of it. Mm. Notice what sucks the life out of you and then make the adjustments you need to make. And I'm going to give you a very practical example. There's a young woman in our congregation. And uh, often when I talk to her, I would say the same thing to her that I often say to other people. Hey, how's it going? How's your day? Right. And she would run down a list of her complaints and symptoms and problems and issues and challenges. And by the time I was off the phone, I was worn out. Right. So I learned from noticing that. Number one, don't ask her that question. So what I ask her now is, hey, what did you do in the past two days that you'd love to do again? Mm. So I shift the energy. But if I had never paid attention to that, I would continue potentially to be worn out by the conversation with her. Mm -hmm. right? So notice what you're noticing. Make adjustments in the things that are sucking the life out of you, that are draining you, that are leaving you exhausted at the end of a day. Look at it and evaluate. How can I shift this? Because the energy that we've been given, this life force that we call spirit, that in imbibes us is ours to manage to notice to turn up the volume on what gives us life and turn down the volume on what's taking life from us yeah oh that's so helpful and i i had a question come out of what the and i've done the examine and i i find it to be really really helpful as well i'm, I'm thinking maybe for listeners that aren't familiar with it um can you talk about how the way you do ministry now? You're still doing ministry, and I, I, I get um, you're doing ministry now from from this secure place, right? Of I'm I'm a beloved daughter of God. He loves me. I'm not out doing ministry to try to earn that or prove that uh, yeah. or get other people's approval, right? To be able to kind of give me that stamp. It's like you you have a freedom now that you yes. didn't have before. Where where before uh, ministry was almost like I felt, and I'm I'm using some of my own words here, but um, ministry was like a treadmill or a slave master. You know, it was like you need to do more and more and more and more of this. So when I hear the you know the exercise of the exam and it's it's do more of the things that bring you life. Uh, I, I can you give some clarity where 
you're not saying never do ministry again. Uh, you're you're not because let's face it, like ministry is hard. Ministry, we're we're servants. You know, Jesus says to serve. Yeah. You're not saying become this like selfish person that just wants to go and and kind of you know whatever do everything for themselves. How would you explain like a healthy place of um, this healthy base that I'm coming from, where mm-hmm. I'm 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 using limits, I'm using boundaries. I know I'm a human. Yes. I'm. I'm loved. And then from that transformed self, mm-hmm. I can now do ministry in healthy ways. Right. Uh, kind of what, what is that? Um, what does that process look like? How does one lead to the other? Okay. So th- thank you for asking. That's a great question. Number one, silence is critical. There's a necessity to have some silence. Why? Because God is a God who speaks, but it's in a still small voice. God is not going to yell be above our TikTok. All right. Um, And so we have to slow down and listen and invite God's wisdom and discernment. Right. And that examine helps us with the discernment part or can help us with discernment. The other thing is what I'm saying is just as we schedule everybody else on our calendar, we have to put ourselves on our calendar. One of the things that the spirit gave me was Mark, the first chapter, verse 35, I think it's 35, might be 34. Um, And it says that Jesus had been doing all this ministry, right? Then he got up early in the morning and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. Well, we have to have some deserted places. So create some deserted spaces for yourself, right? If you don't put it on your calendar, it's not going to happen. All right. Now you've got to get to the point when you said boundaries, that's very important. We've got to get to the point that we don't write everybody else in pen and in ink and write ourselves in pencil. Hold the boundary for caring for yourself. Mark 1 35 said, Jesus got up early, went to a deserted place and there he prayed. And in one version, I think it's the new revised standard. It says, and the disciples hunted for him. <laughs> Ever felt like you've been hunted down? Right, yeah. Okay, I have. I know that feeling, right? They hunted for him. What? In modern technology and terminology, the platform was ready. The praise music had already been done. The mics were set. The cameras were on. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. They're ready for you, right? <laughs> and Jesus does something that rocked my world when I first read that text. Jesus says, no. When I mm. do. Now he doesn't say no like that. What Jesus says is, but it's the same effect. He says, we're going to the other town. That's why I've come out. In other words, you're hunting me down and your agenda did not bring me out of my deserted place. What brought me out is that I know what my assignment is. And so yeah. I'm ready to fulfill that. So each of us has to have a space and a, and a pattern because that's what we see in Jesus's life when he didn't get on the boat, but sent them to the other side. And then he shows up walking on the water. He needed some space. From all the demands. Yeah. Not only of the people, but of his friends, the disciples, he needed space and we need space. What I learned with Mark one thirty-five is number one, Saying no is as healthy and as holy as saying yes. Mm, That's good. 
God allowed Jesus in his time with God. And that goes to me, goes back to John 15, abiding in God. We've got to invest enough time being with God. And whether it's five minutes, 20 minutes, five minutes here, five, when you're washing dishes, it, when you're doing something very monotonous and routine that you typically don't have to think about, make that the time where you say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's while you're in the shower, right? Slow that shower down for a minute, okay? Instead of trying to do the quickest shower in the world, let's stretch it out for a few minutes and say, Lord, would you be present with me here? When you're combing your hair and brushing your teeth, speak, Lord, I'm listening. When you're sitting in traffic, and now many of us are working from home, and so we can say, uh, when a meeting gets canceled, instead of rushing to fill that space, Say, oh my goodness, here's an opportunity for me to learn to be. Yeah. Mm. Hope that's helpful. That's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. All right, I've got two final questions for you. These are both kind of uh, for me. I get to sometimes ask questions from my listeners. Other times, I get to ask them for me. And I don't, I don't think I shared this with you yet. I'm a church planter. Uh, our church is intentionally multi-ethnic. We're in inner city Grand Rapids. And uh, this is my second church plant, so not not my first time doing this, um, but we're in year two. We're in the grind phase, uh, back to the word that <laughs> I'm like, I know that word. Uh, and so I, I resonated when you talked about, you know, going to, uh, and obviously different contexts, but this was, uh, I think if I'm remembering right, sort of in the middle of your crash or as you're you had a relapse kind of exactly. you talked about but yeah. but uh but but my question is is around when you you tried to go back to church and then you had that big wave of anxiety you know that came on you and i'm wondering now like post crash um how do you attend church or uh work at church i'm curious what is your role at the church now um but and if it's changed from before to now, but how do you continue to do ministry in the church um, after having gone through what you've gone through and, or just for anyone, any ministry leader listening, any pastor listening, uh, what advice do you have about that wave of anxiety that we can get when we enter church? And one, there's a lot of demands on our emotional um bank our tank you know our tank of energy we're, we know it's going to get poured out and that's what we want i mean we pour ourselves out the way paul talks about uh, if, if we're not filled up though um throughout the week that's a huge problem right right red alert exactly uh, red alert we want that but then there's also you know the performance nature of church nowadays i'm thinking back to what you said about jesus the stage is set the worship band is on we got the live stream going the lights are on and and we don't have to get on too big of a rabbit trail, but there can be this just TV show performance feeling. And and for the pastor, you're on. You better get up there and you better dance. You better do the, you know, the show. Mm -hmm. It can feel that way sometimes. And there can be anxiety around that. So what's that been like for you post-crash? What what's a healthy way, you know, to be able to approach some of those pressures? That's a an outstanding question. All right. I think for each person, it's probably going to be different. But let me just say a few things that I did. First of all, um, I was having panic attacks. I didn't know the name of that until yeah. one day I shared it with my husband. And so he said, baby, that's a panic attack. I didn't know that. Um, and so I talked to my therapist about that as well. 
um, my, my um, relapse um, happened a number of times where I, I thought I was ready. I felt ready. But here's what I want people to know. Your, your, um, your ego will make you think you're ready. And so be kind to yourself. Mm. So it says you got to get back up. You got to get back at it. And the spirit is saying, take your time. Take your time. That's what sick leave is for. That's what sabbaticals are for. Um, take some time. Um, what I realized is that the church did perfectly fine without me. Mm. Shocker! <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing that um, you ask is kind of how do you manage the anxiety? Get help. I took medication to help me manage the anxiety until there was a place where. Um, in my case, the, the medication could be tampered down some, all right? Because then I had begun to implement things that would help minimize my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Deep breathing, believe it or not, a regular routine daily practice of meditative breathing helps to calm the autonomic nervous system. That's a tool. And so I often invite people, I keep a straw. And so I, I tell people, breathe in through your nose, exhale through your mouth like you're blowing through a straw. And you make that a practice so that you're calming your autonomic nervous system down. There are tools that are available to us, and I try to share them in learning to be. Um, you ask, what am I doing now? As of May, my husband and I, who co um, pastored St. John's in downtown Houston have rewired. Some would call it retired. We're calling it rewirement because we are still doing, offering some of the same ways of being in the world, but just not as senior pastors at St. John's. We're emeritus pastors now. Mm -hmm. And so since May, we have not gone back to church and we probably won't go back to church until January to give our new leadership team an opportunity to anchor in and be recognized and acknowledged as the new leaders there. But in terms of worship, I find my own private worship to be very life-giving. And I would say that to active pastors, find some spaces where you can get your worship in. It might be midweek services at some other church, or maybe it's sitting in your favorite chair, listening to some worship music and reading a scripture and creating your own time. The only time you get in the Bible shouldn't be sermon prep. Yeah. The only time you hear worship music shouldn't be the 10 o'clock service. Create some space for yourself where you, um, there's a place in Houston called the Rothko Chapel. It's an interfaith chapel. It's an all denomination. Uh, yeah, an interfaith, I think is the best word to say. It's an all faith. That's it. An all faith chapel. And I love going there because they honor the silence. There are no religious symbols in the room. Uh, Mark Rothko, uh, who's an artist, created, I think, five or six black large art panels. And there's some natural light that comes into the room. And so you see these black panels. And at times, it's as though that kind of quasi-darkness speaks to you. The light and the shadows speak to you. But mostly, it's the silence. Mm -hmm. 
knowing that you can go there. And for those who say, well, I, I don't like silence. I was abused in silence. And so silence doesn't feel like my friend. Well, I want to invite you to give silence another chance. Maybe it's a minute or two. Maybe it's three minutes. And then you build up over time. But there are ways that we can calm our autonomic nervous system from the heightened uh, sense of expectation. And affirmations are important. I love, accept, and approve of myself. For me, that was the biggest affirmation that I could have could have experienced. Because after preaching so often, I would want somebody to say, oh, Pastor Juanita, that mm -hmm. was such a sermon. Oh, that was so powerful. And I remember one day after preaching, pouring my heart out, bleeding on the pulpit, a person came up to me and said, Pastor Winnie, that was a great message, but it would have been better if you had worn a skirt instead of blue jeans. <laughs> wow. Now, that was early on. That was 30 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So world. But there are people who are going to say things to you after you preach and you're going to have to be able to say, shake it off. Yes. <laughs> right. And yeah. so I began to learn to affirm myself after a sermon. I would go to the restroom and then I would say, God, were you glorified with this word? Because at the time we were doing three services back to back. So I would go to the restroom, call myself, uh, relieve myself, and then ask God, will you glorify? Did this word do what you wanted it to do for this service? And I would listen for an answer. And if the Lord said, don't say such and such at the next service, then I'd take it out of my sermon. But often it was there that I was affirmed by the Spirit of God. I tuned in to the still small voice. And then I started learning to say, I love accept and approve of myself and I trust the process of life. Yes, I am safe. Yes, I am safe. Hmm. But the Bible tells me so. <laughs> so basically I sang I sang my affirmation to yes hmm. Jesus loves me. Hmm. So affirm what you need to affirm. I'm a a never ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That's that's an affirmation I'm learning from Dallas Willard, one mm. of my mentors. I'll say it again. I am a never ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Man, if we would all get that in our spirit then we wouldn't need other people's acceptance and approval. We wouldn't need awards and trophies and certificates and pats on the back. We would know. And let me tell you, knowing is so very powerful. Mm, amen. I know that I'm loved. I know it without a doubt. And I know that I'm a child of God and that God will do whatever God needs to, to care for me, to guide me, to speak to me, to comfort me. Amen. Well, you brought this to, like, I want to close the interview. That was beautiful. I have one more question for you. Uh, so we're going to throw it in still because I need this one answered. But okay. I say amen to everything that you just said. That was awesome. Um, this is another practical question. Um based on your experience, but I think it applies. It has a broader application as well. 
Uh, you talked about working with the homeless, yes, people that have a lot of needs. And I, I think, you know, that's, uh, we do, we, we have some folks at our church um, that are homeless um, and, you know, being uh, in the urban core, there's, uh, you know, an, um, a fair amount of needs there. That's you know, there's a fair amount of physical needs. There's a fair amount of emotional needs, um, mental health needs, and, and that's everywhere. Um, but mm-hmm. it, 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 it can feel magnified there at times. Um, general church work, though, for anyone out there. Let's face it. People have needs. That's Anyone it. who's pastoring sheep, um, sheep they have bite. needs. She they bite. And they bite. <laughs> yeah, they, and they bite. Um, so my question is from your experience, because it's, you know, you've, you've, you've done this for a long time now. Um, what would you say is your job versus God's job mm. when it comes to doing ministry? Because I think when I get that wrong is when I exhaust myself uh, and I get really discouraged. And when I get it right, I'm able to rest. You know, I'm able to be faithful and rest. And so, um, yeah, let's let's end on this one. Um, what is your job or, you know, like a, a listener's job when doing ministry, a church leader's job? Uh, what is your job versus God's job when it comes to really the brokenness of our world? That's a powerful question. You you are really good at these questions. I just, <laughs> well, I have a lot of issues uh, that I need. Don't help we with. all? Don't we all? <laughs> um, so, what's my job versus God's job? So, one of the things that I do, and and Noah, I, I've said this in many ways. I keep open communication with God. So that when when somebody is sitting before me with needs, my default is to want to fix it. Yeah. Right. And so what I'm learning is to take some deep breaths and I just sit there. Sometimes the person is talking, sometimes they're not. Maybe they've just told me everything or while they're talking, telling me all of that their needs. I'm breathing and grounding myself. And then I'm saying, okay, God, who are you inviting me to be in this moment? And I listen. And then I'll say, who are you or what are you inviting me to do in this moment? You'd be surprised how often God says, I just want you to be present. And then when it comes to the doing, God will say, there's nothing here for you to do. Mm -hmm. But it took me a long time to learn that, to to learn to fine tune my ability to hear God's voice so that I could be at ease with not doing anything. Now, let, let me say this to you. The not doing anything doesn't really mean not doing anything. It means that I don't have to write a check necessarily. I don't necessarily have to uh, make a phone call to arrange services for somebody or whatever uh, as the need might appear. But sometimes the very best gift we can give another human being is simply to acknowledge their humanity. Mm -hmm. In the case of the homeless community, they know where the services are better than you do. They know where they can get clothes. They know where they can get food. They know where they can get um, potentially temporary shelter. But if we will acknowledge one another's humanity, by just listening, not being in the solution, not being in the what will I say next so that I appear brilliant and holy. But how can I just be present in this moment? Yeah. 
simple answer, not easy. It takes practice. You're right. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And then I'm trying to hear for me, I got to hear these things multiple times for multiple people to be like, okay, God, I'm going to finally do it. <laughs> yeah. No, we all, we yeah. all, I think many of us learn by repetition, you yeah. know? Yeah. But there's such, there, there's so much healing and this is for anyone, you know, where, and, and you've found this, I'm sure in your journey and in your research, the, the healing from trauma and, and trauma can be just of so many different ways. We've all experienced, you know, trauma, of different levels. Um, it's to be that embodied presence of God's love in people's life. It's to not just, Hey, God loves you. Right. Took that up in the left side of your brain, you know, and believe it, believe that he loves you, but there's an embodiment of it in the, in the flesh, in, you know, in human form. And I want my listeners to know, even though it's like we have an intimate relationship with that, that I love them, that they yes. are worthy of love, that God loves them. Yes. And I think we just need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. Um, and when that happens in genuine ways, particularly right. in like you're talking about when you're sitting with someone and you're present and you're looking them in the eye and you're affirming their dignity, you're affirming that they're an image bearer of God, uh, you're affirming that they're worthy of love, that the trauma responses of our brain starts to heal yes, and uh, that healing can then uh, I just had a pastor friend that was, this is his wisdom that I'm now passing on to, to listeners um, that, that, you know, when that healing can begin to happen, that, that can be the step needed that now that person feels like I can walk into that shelter or I can walk into that clothing ministry um, cause I'm loved. And I know that cause that person just showed me that love. That's huge. And that was really revolutionary for me. Cause I go, okay, I can offer that. Exactly. I think that's what Jesus offers. I think that's what the church, you know, is to offer, uh, people. Certainly I don't want to dismiss the the need to, to care for physical needs mm -hmm. and churches that are able to do that. And, and ministries, I'm all about that. But for me as an individual, um, that's the best thing I can offer someone is that healing love of Jesus present through me yes. uh, and then let God do the rest. And that's so hard for me just to let God do the rest, but well, he, he will, won't he? In his, yes, in his own way. And again, the key is up until now it's been hard because now you've heard it again and we've heard it again. The best gift that we can give a person is to be present. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, sometimes, and again, because at St. John's, we have, if you will, specialized in providing for the needs and concerns of the homeless community. And so there are resources that from housing to social service support and all kinds of stuff. So I can always say, well, Mary, go talk to Mary and she can help get you on the housing list or whatever. But I'm saying beyond all else. And I love the way Buddhist priest Thich Nhat Hanh said it. The greatest gift that we can offer one another is our capacity to listen. Because deep listening heals. It does. Amen to that. Yeah. And that's, that is, if, if a listener is like, why is she quoting a Buddhist priest? I, I think you're, you're tapping into this truth about God's creation of humans, that we are meant uh, to love each other. We are meant yeah. to listen to yeah. each other. And that is going to heal. That is going, yeah. 
And and often that's what's missing in our culture. It's what's missing in this fast-paced uh, ministry world that we live in, even of programs and shows and you know social media. It's like all this slowing down, the silence. You look at Jesus and the amount of time he spent with his disciples versus the crowd. Exactly. Um, he was he had the ministry of presence exactly. with his disciples, and then look at how it rippled out. You know, look at how it rippled out from there. So. Um, that ministry of presence, the ministry of listening, so, so key. Uh, Juanita, I'm going to wrap it up here, but let me toss it back over to you for any just final words, uh, final words of encouragement that you'd like to share uh, with listeners wherever they are, driving in their car, maybe they're on the treadmill, uh, maybe they're doing dishes right now as they listen to a podcast. What would you like to say to them in closing? I want to say, take a deep breath wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and notice the cool air coming into your nostrils. And on the exhale, notice the warm air exiting your mouth. Be here now. Breathe. So much of what God wants to offer us is in the present moment. And so if you'll practice breathing as a tool to anchor you in the present moment, I believe that you'd be taking step one of learning to be. And my book is coming out, in, or rather is out in paperback. And so I certainly hope your audience will pick up some copies and uh, they can find Learning to Be by Juanita Rasmus anywhere books are sold. Amen. We'll have that in the show notes, uh, link to the book. And I highly recommend uh, listeners pick it up. Thank you, Juanita, so much for coming on the flip side. It's been great having you. Thank you for having me. All right. Welcome back. I hope that that conversation encouraged you. I hope it gave you some things to talk to God about, some th- some, uh, some to be silent and to listen and uh, see how God might be challenging you to grow, uh, to grow as well as to add some some new rhythms uh, into your life. I thought I'd mention um, I, while we were doing the interview, I, I thought about a five minute flip that I did. I just looked it up. It's dated March 27th, 2023. And if you want to find it on your podcast feed, it's in between episode 79 and episode 78. Uh, And I titled it A Non-Guru's Guide to Solitude and Silence. So it's just a short, uh, maybe 10 minutes or so, thoughts on how to spend silent time with God, starting with two minutes. And so I'd encourage you to to check that out uh, if you want some more of my thoughts on um, how I how I experience silence with God and, and, and some practical ways you can start to do that as well. As you can see, uh, people that are well-formed in their spiritual formation, and, and I feel like I'm on my way. I, I still feel like I'm in that, as Juanita described, uh, going to bed at night and things inside are going, go, 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 go still. I still feel like it's hard for me to, to, to meditate and slow down and breathe and do really good silence you know, time. And so, um, but God's working on me. And uh, so that episode, The Non-Guru's Guide, it's just some ways maybe to get you started. Uh, but what I, what I found is people that are well-formed in their spiritual formation, people that are a non-anxious presence, um, people that have a, a foundation to them that like the, the waves on the top, the circumstances might be choppy, but beneath the deep surfaces of the water, things are still calm. Uh, there are people that spend time with God in silence. There are people that have cultivated these rhythms and these practices, and that's the type of person uh, that I want to be. And frankly, it's the type of person I need to be if I'm going to have longevity 
you know, when it comes to, um, when it comes to pastoral ministry. And there's so much joy and peace in our just walks with Jesus for all of us uh, when we're able to, to kind of tap into some of these deeper places and deeper levels. So, uh, pick up a book of learn uh, a, a book. Pick up a book. I said that right. Of learning to be uh, by Juanita Campbell Rasmus. And another thank you to Juanita for coming on to the flip side. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at Patreon.com/slash Noah Philippiak. And uh, shout out to Angry Brew. Thank you for sponsoring the show. We will see you soon. Uh, we'll be back next time with uh, more long form episodes, as well as make sure you subscribe to the feed so you can get all of the five-minute flips that come your way on a regular basis. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you, and I will see you next time on The Flip Side. The Flip Side with Noah Philippiak is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiak. www.noahphilippiak.com Theme music by Kyle Lake at Kalick Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days.